apps like that help <laughs> help them help zoos to be directly impactful on those those projects that we think so far out of reach, but really they, we are involved. Um, obviously, we're not the rock stars of it. There are others in the field that are getting dirty, and I mean, they're the ones. But the bottom line is, it's a I mean, team. without us and without other zoos organizations wouldn't be successful and then without those organizations we would not be successful and the same with the zoo i mean if we didn't have zookeepers there the zoo would fail if we didn't have the concession staff there and the guest services staff there the zoo would fail and most importantly if we didn't have the guests coming in the zoo would fail so it's all a collaborative you know thing that we all need to balance and weigh and uh, you know trial and error and this is working let's keep doing it This episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Tidal Influence, a Californian ecological consulting firm who proudly supports environmental education and all of the diverse conservation efforts that Pelicanus works to highlight. Visit their website at tidalinfluence.com to learn more about what they do to conserve our coastal resources and how you can get involved. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pelicanus. Pelicanus is a nonprofit organization focused on sharing the movement that is and has been happening in the conservation field. Now this is Conservation Conversations, our long-form documentary-style show that highlights the people and organizations that are making it their purpose to grow the conservation field, and to show that people have, and still are, making monumental differences in our world with intentional change. Head over to pelicanus.org to find all of our episodes and more. In this episode, we talked to a couple zookeepers from Greenville Zoo in South Carolina. Jennifer and Greg Garcia, a married couple, both have a passion for wildlife and conservation and have been dedicated to the cause for over a decade. Among the multitude of conservation projects they are involved in, we focus on the efforts to conserve Amur leopards, both in the wild and in zoos, as well as the larger scale efforts that the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, or AZA, is undertaking. Now let's let them show us what a small zoo can do to save endangered species. really know too much about the small zoos i think you know trying to think of the zoos i've been to it's it's the san diego zoo and <laughs> it's it's hard to envision this a small zoo and and that because like when i when i would go to the san diego zoo it feels like this giant like entity that everyone has like a role and it exactly like you guys said it's very regimented but first i kind of i guess since we're kind of on that um thread can we can you guys kind of talk about zoos maybe start with zoos in general but how a smaller zoo like greenville zoo what is their their reach how is how can they impact the field of conservation the usda um registers over three thousand animal exhibitors in the nation and um they do inspect these these institutions yearly um, for like a baseline care, uh, but there was no governing body of, of zoos, no, nothing to hold them accountable. So um, I want to say in 1980, yeah, I think it was in the 80s. I'd have to double check when the Association of Zoos and Aquariums was formed, but it's, it's, it's the accrediting body, uh, the most prestigious in, in the United States and maybe even the world. Um, there are now 240 institutions uh, accredited by the AZA. And um, what's nice, and I always have to say, just because a zoo is not accredited does not mean it's a bad zoo. Very true. However, 
if a zoo is accredited, you could be assured that they are doing their best to be better. A AZA standards every year, they just increase tenfold. And if you ask anybody who works at a zoo, uh, whether or not they think animals should be in captivity, I hope they say no. The majority of the keepers, <laughs> yeah, are gonna say no. Yeah, so yeah. We, we do what we do because we don't want animals to be in cages, and but we want to inspire the next generation of of policymakers and policy supporters. We want them to be environmentally literate and and conservation conscientious. So the Association of Zoos and Aquariums they they have to go through a five year um, cycle. We they look at animal welfare. They look at veterinarian services. They look at the, the professional development for the staff. They, they look eat at, at the concession stands. <laughs> they drink out of the concession stand. Yeah. They use the public restrooms. And they look at our conservation programs. Um, so even though we're a small zoo, we still have a pretty big impact. And what's nice is that 13 acres in South Carolina is still striving to meet the same outcome as San Diego Zoo that takes multiple days to really soak up. Yeah. And that's a great facility. And, and I'm confident to say that all AZA accredited zoos strive for that because we have something holding us accountable. Do you think, think San Diego, you think of Cincinnati, you think of, you know, Chicago, Lincoln Park, um, but you know, like the smaller zoos kind of get sidelined because like, oh, it's just a small zoo. They're not really doing much, which, that's where AZA comes in. That's why I mentioned is because AZA requires the, the, the zoo, the facility to actually a portion of the profits they make goes towards conservation. And especially if you have certain types of animals, back when we had elephants, we were required not, you know, besides having the elephants and all the standards that came with the elephants, we were required to donate a certain percentage of money to elephant conservation just because we housed elephants. Um, and that's one of AZA's rules and policies. So when we look at the conservation efforts of the Greenville Zoo, we have a conservation committee where it represents um, individuals from each department or division of our zoo, education, public service, um, even our events, maintenance, maintenance animal staff, and um, administration. Yeah. So, and, and we even invite um, community members that express you know, concern and we, those, you know, they're open for that. Um, now, we do a lot of different stuff that's oftentimes behind the scenes and people don't know about. They just think that the exhibits are what's there and we're there to take care of the animals. And yes, we are, but that's quite, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So much of what we do happens uh, behind that gate that you can't go. So. And when you actually unpack what an organization that is 13 acres and 33 employees is actually doing for conservation. It's pretty insane. <laughs> You've brought species back from extinction. You've discovered new species uh, you know, as being part of a larger group. And that's awesome to, to think that you guys have that much of a reach. So I guess to kind of take a step back to, to kind of focus on, since we've already kind of talked about the program, the uh, Amur leopards, if I'm saying it right, Amur, um, they, so as you, you kind of mentioned, you're a part of the AZA organization for Amur Leopard Conservation. And that organization of all the zoos that are involved is, has now taken that wild population from 35 to 100. Can you um, dive deeper a little bit into how, like, 
how does that like what's the, what are the mechanisms of that like how does that happen how do, how do you actually triple a wild population the group that was known as alta the amir leopard and tiger alliance so amir leopards and amir tigers some call them amur leopards amur tomato siberian leopards siberian they tiger previously were known under the name of siberian leopards and siberian tigers so if you hear those two they're the same, same um so the group alta they recently changed their name to Wildcat Alliance, I think is the name. And they're the ones in the Amur River Valley. They're the ones in negotiating the governments and even the national governments to get policy change for, for the people that live in that area to protect the land that, that they have in there because they have huge range, home ranges. Um, so though that team of researchers and advocates are on the ground. They've asked to help them with the genetics of it uh, because they have some European zoos are, since they're closer, they're the ones of this facility can uh, reintroduce the actual cubs um, and, and Alta Wildcat Alliance, they work closely with them on the steps, the facility they use to teach them how to hunt. And then like it's a trans, um, the transitional like facility that gives them more and more freedom as they get older and eventually hopefully they don't come back you know but they have trackers on them um and then zoos in stateside you know on in our homeland we use the ssp primarily to help those efforts in that we provide a genetically diverse um, population that that they can pull from essentially so the we just had leopard cubs at the zoo in February. Those leopard cubs will not go to the wild. Um, they will have to maintain a healthy population. There are about 200 leopards in, in the United States, uh, 200 Amir leopards within Association of Zoos and Aquarium Facilities in the United States. Their genetics are closely monitored and paired. The male that sired the cubs that we have, he was actually flown here from Germany because of his DNA that match there were there was a quite a significant dilution of male dna in the united states prior to him coming over because there was very few males and they all had lots of offspring so they provided a high risk for inbreeding and, and other mutations so he successfully breeded with with our female and and they have the cubs he is now living at philadelphia because he would think the cubs were delicious so he is living in Philadelphia while mom uh, raises those cubs because they're solitary. They don't see each other as family units, so that's pretty natural. Um, so his DNA is helping to that, that genetic line. Uh, but zoos in the United States can also send, um, you know, eggs from a female and genetic male over to those facilities in, in, uh, that are operating in the field and they can sedate a wild female. They can implant her with that embryo um, and she can be a surrogate to those little cubs. So when those cubs are born, there's a whole new set of DNA that can revive a saturated pool in the wild. Diving deeper into you know what Alta does. I mean, the hardest part of conservation effort, especially when it involves a community is um, convincing or that government to want to save 
these animals. I mean, like, I mean, coming from a government standpoint, it's like that. That's why there's no, there's, there's no point. You know, let them do whatever they want to do. They go extinct. They extinct. But affects long-term, you know, ecosystems, and I mean, they play a vital role in that ecosystem. Um, and just convincing the community, the government to, you know, like, yeah, save these cats. It's 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 a good thing. Trust us. I think that's the hardest part of. Uh, Honestly, I have no idea how you would go about doing that. You know, I've never been exposed to that. That's a very difficult task to do. Um, but, you know, once you get that, the, the next hard part is, you know, like, okay, who do we staff? You know, who do we hire to help enforce these laws now, you know? Could you go live your outside? Yeah, walking around in camo and, you know, unhooking snares. And, uh, I mean, one of the biggest things about your leopards, why they're so endangered, is not because of deforestation. It's because of hunting for their pelts. They've got magnificent furs. Um, and also the livestock. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of farmland up there. And uh, these cats, easy prey is, a, you know, a goat, your sheep, you know, bam, easy. And these hunters, you know, kill them because it's, it's affecting their life. I don't blame them for trying to make a living. And you got something that's interfering with that. They're trying to feed their kids, trying to feed their family. At that point, is like convincing the government to be like, hey, let us help pay for that missing, you know, or let us replace cattle. I mean, what do you prefer? And uh, put out forest fires, doing the snares, training park rangers, um, and just patrolling. I mean, they have to convince somebody to protect something that's hurting them. <laughs> and that's hard that evokes like the behavior chain models that we learn so much about and um in school and and um but but what's crazy is that they've been successful and that they've been able to triple a population within a decade steps like that <laughs> help <laughs> help them help zoos to be directly impactful on those those projects that we think so far out of reach, but really they, we are involved. Um, obviously, we're not the rock stars of it. There are others in the field that are getting dirty, and I mean, they're the ones. But the bottom line is, it's a I mean, team. without us and without other zoos, organizations wouldn't be successful. And then without those organizations, we would not be successful. And the same with the zoo. I mean, if we didn't have zookeepers there, the zoo would fail. If we didn't have the concession staff there and the guest services staff there, the zoo would fail. And most importantly, if we didn't have the guests coming in, the zoo would fail. So it's all a collaborative, you know, thing that we all need to balance and weigh and, uh, you know, trial and error. And this is working. Let's keep doing it. When it comes to zoos, they can, as you kind of mentioned earlier, uh, they can be pretty con controversial. Some people don't like them. Um, but as you kind of mentioned, they don't quite understand what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and I'm kind of... I, circled a, a, something you said earlier when it said you, you like we don't no one wants animals in cages so I, I guess yeah what what kind of things would you like people to know about zoos and how you see zoos and tough subject i do feel that repeating much clear is that the majority of people that work in zoos would love to be put out of business but only there's no need for zoos anymore because what zoos do is that ambassador animals for their wild counterparts to instill passion by experience captivity so they want to preserve them in the wild. And if that mission is ever accomplished, then there's no need for a zoo anymore because all the animals out in the wild, there's, there's, it's fine. They're not in danger. There's no animal that's in danger. There's, you know, it's, it's regulated. There's all sorts of different things going on. It's, it's fine. No more zoos. Like, okay, cool. I appreciate that. Awesome. 
Um, but as far as the one thing I would want or a couple of things I'd want people to know, I mean, open-minded. Um, a lot of people come into a zoo and just assume one thing um, and they hone in on that one thing and they, you know, blow everything out of proportion. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. This is America. So before anyone ever, you know, questions what a zoo does, ask questions. You know, if, 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 you, if you feel the need to be negative, negative towards something, back it up, research, and a ask questions. That's the best way. I, I, you know, I would add to saying the reason why the only way zoos can accomplish their goal is not only that animals are out wild and that but also that people have an equitable access to them to explore and enjoy. Will that ever happen? I don't think so. We don't know. Oh. That would be really great if everybody had the same opportunities to go on adventures to new places and see new things and, and you know, live in that moment. But um, that is something that zoos do provide, um, even if it's a very common animal, like a squirrel. Or, or squirrels, chickens. oh my gosh. The squirrels at the zoo are probably one of the most popular animals for our youngest. Yeah, yeah there's young kids, you know, little, 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 little guys are coming through here. Like there's a, the rarest cat in the world yeah. staring at them. Yeah. And there's a gray squirrel that runs by and they're obsessed with the gray squirrel. They just chase the gray squirrel. And I'm like, whatever. I mean, but I mean, they're enjoying the zoo and that's all that matters. And if they can make good memories at the zoo, appreciate the zoo. So well, I would I would say that um, you you were mentioning you know if you question zoos if you um, are skeptical of them ask those questions ask how do you meet their needs the zoos that meet their needs will tell you the the institutions that might have a lot of room for growth might be hesitant to show you um, and what I'm really pleased with ours offer behind the scenes tours. We offer a live camera into some of our, that any, watch them at any time. Um, and we try to be as transparent as possible. And that's something that AZA accredited zoos really for. Animal passes away, they tell you why, you know, and. I mean, th those animals <laughs> at the zoo are probably cared for way better than I am. I mean, you know, I mean, they, we, I mean, zookeepers are there all the time like that's one of the I was talking to uh, someone today about this was is people don't really like my mom still says hey you coming home for Christmas I'm like nope I got the work it's just like zoo's closed I'm like there's still animals there they still have to eat it's not a job it is a lifestyle and it's a passion and I um, mean it's it's something that you eat sleep and breathe is is you know the welfare for these animals and the, the mission of your facility. When I talk to children about zookeepers, um, and they ask, and they say, I want to be a zookeeper because zookeepers are, they are just, they're the rock stars of ours. We'll go, oh, zookeeper. I wonder if he's going to feed something. And, and But when I talk to kiddos about getting into the zoo field, I tell them when you wake up on Christmas morning and if your family's Christmas, what's the first thing you do? You run downstairs, you're really excited, and zookeeper wakes up on Christmas morning, they put on their uniform on, they go to the zoo, um, 
and when it's snowy and they get to stay home from school in a snow day, we walk to work because we can't drive. So we walk there to make sure if it's a, if we're afraid that there's going to be a storm overnight, we spend the night there to make sure the animals aren't stranded away from care. Um, if there's a flood, we stay there. Um, is much more than a job. There, there is going to be always, always going to be a select few people that you know aren't going to get paid that are going to continue doing what they're doing because it's what's in their heart. It's what they believe. You know, given your combined over two decades of experience in accredited zoos, um, it's obviously it's such a, a passion-driven uh, organization, uh, field, career choice for you. What is it that keeps you going? Because it's, it's, I can't imagine it's easy. You know, like you it's said, morning when it's snowing, you're walking to, walking to work. It's, you know, what is it about it that, keeps that passion alive? What is it that gives you uh, the hope, I guess, to, to keep, keep going? So when I first started, um, it was, wow, I'm standing next to this giraffe. This is awesome. Wow, I'm this tiger, this lion. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm catching these vultures it's for a couple of years. You know, like, this is great. But after a while, just like everything, it gets repetitive. It gets the same, like, same old thing over and over again. But what keeps me going is when we do those behind-the-scenes tours, when we were to get um, visitors close, especially close to these animals, and you see their reaction to it, it reminds you of how you felt um, or how I felt. And, uh, and that is what me going is, is being able to share that experience that I remember having with other people um, and seeing their faces light up and having like having Anton or Anteater, you know, stick his 24 inch long tongue out and stuff and I was like oh my god this is so cool I'm like I see it every day but it is cool you're right you, they, they remind me of how awesome my job is and how unique and different and how honored and you know special a zookeeper it, it is funny to think how I catch myself bored yeah <laughs> and I'm and, and then you have these moments that are just rejuvenating and people that keep us going it's our community it's seeing it's when kids send us cards, cards. They, the, the they, draw, they draw their favorite animal this is my last question and it's maybe the hardest one but you know take your time um what is your favorite animal that's a zoo i don't know i mean i love the orangutans I love our baby Adira. She's she's super cute. Uh, my phone is just full of pictures of her. You know, a lot of people are like here's my kids. I'm like here's mine. I got two hundred of them. Uh, but uh, it's a tough one. I mean, I don't like picking favorites, but I get a lot of enjoyment out of frogs. <laughs> they they make me giggle a lot. Um, and I go I do frog watch. I do monitoring of frogs at night and something about out in parks and I get special permission to be in parks, you know, at, at night. And it's just, it's, it's magical. Like it, there's fireflies, there's the noises, the symphony of, of, of others. And it's beautiful. And I'm the only one, me, 
and they're in the park at that time and 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 it's just really I I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of the frogs and they make the funniest noises that are like fart noises. What, what is the noise? What is the hey, oh, hey, hey, baby? So when I'm working, if I do like if I have people. I have them hold their nose, and you have to go, hey, baby, hey, baby, hey, baby. And if a lot of people do it, it sounds like green tree frog. It really does. It really does. Really and then I also, um, I, I first worked with bears in Texas, and I really, really enjoyed the bears. Um, they were black bears, and they were just, they were like a, from a storybook. They were super lazy, and just, uh, they, they were like, bears from a storybook and and I really like that um but I I, I also I don't know I, I, I can caterpillars are also one of my favorites I know that's weird but they Snakes look like dogs really when you look up close at the cat I do enjoy snakes you a like lot like bats eating bananas oh my gosh bat I don't know if you guys ever seen those videos if you've ever seen a bat wrapped in a towel eating, eating a, a banana. banana you don't know what you're missing I think I've seen well, it. And watch it. They <laughs> are so darn cute. Um, so, yeah. That's um, nice. I think those those animals that are indicative of my childhood, just, the, I grew up in Texas. We had a lot of bears in Texas. We had a lot of frogs. Um, and my mom was such a powerful influencer of my love of nature. She really encouraged me to look close and come, come look, come look. So. Um, even I remember my grandpa doing the same thing to me. I think it's important, uh, you know, for you to just share. It sounds like a silly question, but it's, it's important to share, share because you guys are now reciprocating that same uh, treatment you got when you were kids. And you're now trying to share that with the public in Greenville and, and beyond. Uh, so we all can appreciate wildlife and conservation. We'd like to say thank you again to Jennifer and Greg for talking to us. The work they do at the Greenville Zoo is truly integral to the global conservation effort. Next time you're in South Carolina, check out the Greenville Zoo, and in the meantime, take a look at their website and consider donating to their conservation projects. Producers on this episode were Austin Parker and Taylor Parker, and the music in this episode was produced by a picture book. Thank you again for tuning in. Please like and subscribe to our page, and we'll talk to you next time.